Identity in Christ, it's a big difference to say, I'm a sinner and I love God, than to say, I'm beloved by God and God's still working on me and I'm still struggling with stuff. There's a big difference. And my prayer for us as the Crossroads family, we would always see ourselves as acceptable in the beloved, as the beloved of God. Because you know what? That's who you are in Christ. You are not not beloved. Who are you? How do you see yourself? Today, Pastor Daniel invites you to think about your answers to these questions because of how deeply they impact your life. He encourages you to make the fact that you are precious and beloved to God your starting point. Yes, you are a work in progress who needs to be rescued. This is absolutely true. But Jesus came because he loves you. He gave his life because you matter so much to him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Jude as he continues his message, The Struggle is Real. If you're serving Satan, you are a dummy. I mean, there's nothing more dumb than serving the guy who gets wiped out in the end. And God doesn't come down and take Satan. He sends the angel to do his bidding. And if you're that kind of a person who's saying, well, I don't serve anybody. Yes, you do. Look at your life. Be really honest. You serve a mortgage payment or a rent payment, or you serve in order to get this thing or that thing. Everybody serves. And so it makes the most sense to choose to serve the Son of God, the true and living God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, it is the most logical decision to serve that person. Amen? Amen. You can clap in church if you want to, but you don't have to. But now he's to call himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He also calls himself the brother of James. Now, this is super interesting because church history would tell you, although it doesn't say it specifically, we don't know for sure, but there's a very, very, very good chance that Jude was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Because if you look at the list, Mary had Jesus before her and Joseph had ever consummated their marriage right? But then Mary and Joseph end up having normal human relationships after it. And they had a number of kids. You find that in a number of places in the gospels. And in that list, James is in there and Jude is in there as well. And James became a pillar in the early church. The epistle of James was written by him. And so Jude, according to church history, was also the brother of Jesus. But it's interesting that instead of saying, hey, I'm the half brother of Jesus, he said, I'm a bondservant of Jesus and I'm the brother of James. Which I think is very powerful because he realizes it's more important to be a servant of Jesus than to be his half-family member. And I think that's important. Have you grabbed hold of the ministry of being a bond servant of Christ? Because you know what it is? I think for a lot of people to say, I don't want to serve Jesus, so I don't want to serve anybody, and we address that. But I think within the church, there's a lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, but I'm really not his servant. And I think that's a big problem because that's not Christianity at all. See, if your interests in your own heart are higher than God's interests, if you're more concerned about what you want than what God desires, then you're not a bondservant of Christ. Because when you're a servant, the desires of your master ends up making all the details of your life fit in. 
And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of us who have Jesus over the doorpost of the house, but there's, Jesus really isn't inside the house. He's just a little plaque on the wall. And I think that Jude wants to get at that with us, wants to help us fight for the things that are the most important. Because you will find your highest purpose when you are a bondservant of Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to change your career either. It means that you'll do your career with a different set of motivations, a different set of goals. But we need to be bond servants of Jesus, just like the writer of this letter. Now, that's just the beginning. You notice what it says here. In the middle of verse 1 and verse 2, it says, To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, I don't want to, like, bore you with math on a Sunday, but what I want you to grab out of this is a little math equation that says, called and sanctified and preserved equals blessed. That's what we learn here in the middle of verse 1 and verse 2, that called, sanctified, and preserved equals blessed. Now, notice, we're called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Christ Jesus, and then mercy, peace, and love. These are the first set of a series of triads that you're going to find in the epistle of Jude. Jude has this reoccurring theme of threes. We're going to see them over and over and over again. It's one of the, like, the defining characteristics of this letter, that he likes to do things in threes. He uses his examples in threes. And I'm going to be showing you this, but for those of you who love those type of things in the Bible, when you read through Jude, you be like, oh, look, there's another set of three. There's another triad. Wow, interesting. The Holy Spirit inspired him to do it this way. But we have these realities. First, that you're called. And the calling that we have here, it really stresses God's sovereign work in salvation, that God calls. And the calling of God comes to us through the active ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the calling of God to our life. And really, for the people who receive this letter, that calling happened sometime in the past. Why? Because the only reason they would have been hearing the epistle of Jude if they were already part of the church. The only reason they were part of the church was because God called them. So this idea of calling, it's the active work of the Spirit, and it happened sometime in the past. Then you have this idea of being sanctified. Now notice it says, sanctified by God the Father. That word sanctified literally means to be set apart. Or some of your translations have the word beloved, right? Or loved by God the Father. That's a beautiful reality. If I put both those words together, you and I have been set apart to be loved by God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that that's a watershed. Think about that for a second. That God the Father has set you apart, taken you, and moved you to a special place so that he can love on you. Now, oftentimes and stereotypically, the women in the congregation are like, oh, yeah, loved by God. And the guys are like, dude, Fusco, come on. Like, loved by God. Listen, think about the number of people we've written off in our lives because they've been lousy friends. Think about the number of people who in the journey of life you chose to say goodbye to because of who they were. And then think about all the mistakes each one of us has made and the fact that God still loves us. That is so powerful that the God who is perfect, who is love at the essence of his nature, does not hold all the mistakes we make against us, but removes them from us, and we are still the object of his love. And the beauty of this, the idea of being loved by God, 
as you can imagine, this love is in the present. It's happening right now. As I always say, God doesn't love us because we are lovable. God loves us because God is loving at the essence of who he is. So it's beautiful. We've been called by the active work of the Spirit in the past. We've been, right now, we're set apart to be loved by God in the present, the Father. And then, of course, you have this preserved in Jesus Christ. That word preserved is also translated kept, held by Jesus. Now, again, this is by the Son, and this keeping gives us a great assurance because nobody can snatch us out of his hand. That's something about the future. There's this keeping that happens by Jesus. Now, you see what I just did there? You have the past, the present, and the future. You have the Father, Son, and the Spirit. You have being, this is beautiful, being called and being sanctified and being preserved in the future. The totality of our lives. But what does all that equal? You put it all together, what does it equal? Being blessed. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 2. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I love that. We're talking about multiplication here. We're not talking about addition. We're talking about multiplication. That speaks of exponential growth, right? If I say, hey, 10 plus 10, what does it equal? Anybody? 10 plus 10? No. 10 plus 10 equals 20. What's 10 times 10? 100. Yeah. See the difference? This is why we're blessed in Christ. Because of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, his total work in the past, present, and future, keeping us and setting us apart and preserving us, we are exponentially blessed. And that's a powerful reality. These things are multiplied to us. Mercy and peace and love. I've never met a person who doesn't want these three things. Not one time in my life. I've never met someone who's like, yeah, not, no mercy for me. <laughs> Come on, right? I've never met someone who's like, I don't want any love. Yes, you do. You know, it's like peace. And there's someone, yeah, I, I just want to be kind of coming undone, freaking out all the time. No peace for me. It's like, this is what people want. And it's all multiplied to us who are called and sanctified and preserved by the true and living God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the past, present, future. Isn't that some good news, my friends? That's some really good news. Now listen, there are some of you here right now who you want those things, but you haven't said yes to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, these are the things that you really want. If you go upstream from the things that you think you want, Deep down in your soul, those are the things that every person really wants. That's what you want. And really what you'll really find is what you really want is not those things. You want the God who gives us those things. And that God who gives us things, he has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And he wants to give you those things, but you have to reach out those hands of faith and say thank you and receive it. But moving on, look what it says in verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ." You'll notice here in verse 3, he says, beloved. Now, you know how easy it is to pass over that? I don't know about you. I'm the kind of person that oftentimes I miss those things, but I didn't want to miss it because I saw it there. I love that appellation, beloved, beloved. And I talked about it already, so I don't want to belabor it, but my prayer is that you do not view yourself as 
a sinner who is loved by God, but you view yourself as someone who is beloved of God, who God's still working on and working things out. That's a big difference. Talk about identity in Christ. It's a big difference to say, I'm a sinner and I love God, than to say, I'm beloved by God and God's still working on me. I'm still struggling with stuff. There's a big difference. And my prayer for us as the Crossroads family, we would always see ourselves as acceptable in the beloved, as the beloved of God. Because you know what? That's who you are in Christ. You are not not beloved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You are the beloved of God. And we need to see ourselves that way. I think for some of you, you need to write that down right now. I am the beloved of God. And bring that into your prayer closet and allow the Lord to minister that into the deep parts of who you are. Because I think for a lot of us, we've had so many bad experiences with so many people at so many different times that you hear that and you're like, yeah, that may be true for that person or this person, but not me. And I'm here to tell you that if you are in Christ, you are dearly beloved, powerfully beloved. And I believe God wants to form that in us as his kids. But he says to them, he calls them beloved. He says, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, he's saying, look, I'm diligent to write to you. And he really wanted to write about their common salvation, but he ends up having to exhort them to contend for their faith. And that word contend means to struggle or to fight. So I call this message, the struggle is real. But what does this teach us? It teaches us that we need to fight for the right things. We need to fight for the right things. Things. Now, for me, it's funny. When I wrote this point down, I was tipping my hat to the Beastie Boys. For those of you who are children of the 80s, anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. You sinners, not skit. <laughs> so, the Beastie Boys put out a song called You Gotta Fight for Your Right to What? Party. That's right. That's not what you're supposed to fight for. That's not the right thing to fight for. You know what I mean? But... You know, but I thought it was such a, it's a great phrase. And it's like, you know, you got to fight for your right, for the right things. Anyway, no, that's terrible. That was cheesy. Forgive it. Rewind the tape. But we got to fight for the right things. You got to fight for the right things. What we find here is that Jude is exhorting the church that there's something that they need to fight for that is the right thing. Notice that you contend earnestly. I mean, you think about the idea of being a contender. You think of a boxer. I could have been a contender. You know what I mean? Like, there's this idea that you're at a fight and someone's going to win here and we need to fight for the right things. And really what he's saying is that we need to fight. The right thing to fight for is the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. See, in the early church, there were some struggles. And we're going to find out that there's been some people who've kind of come into the church who are seen as part of the church, but they're really not. And they're trying to undermine the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, no, no, you got to fight against that. You need to contend and you need to struggle against that. Because notice what it says. And we, we understand who, what the problem was in verse 4. It says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we find out that there's these men, and they're called ungodly men, and they've snuck on in. So realize, the church then was house churches. 
So it wasn't like this. It was like in someone's house. It was like a small group. That was the other church, right? And so they had these, this little small group of believers. They're all in a house, and all of a sudden someone comes in. They look like they're a Christian, and they kind of act like they're a Christian, but they're really not. They've been marked out for condemnation before the foundation of the earth, but they snuck on in, and they have two goals. One, cheapening the grace of God, and two, denying who the Lord really is. That's what we learn here. The first thing that they're doing is they're trying to take the grace of God, and they're trying to make it a license for sin, right? They turn God's grace into lewdness. Now, think about this. The idea here is that we all met people, and unfortunately, some of us are like this, where you say, don't judge me. God knows my heart. But really what you're saying is is that I'm doing things I know I'm not supposed to do, and you talk to me about it, and you're not supposed to talk to me about it. The idea is that I can do what I want, but because I'm a follower of Jesus, it's all good. And what's interesting is this was going on in the early church. Because it's all about grace, not about works, it doesn't matter what I do. And I'm here to tell you, that's a flat-out lie. It's totally about what you do, because who you are is what you do. At the very least, you know what is in your heart by the way that you act. And your actions are a window as to the person that you are. But for most of us, we don't ever think about ourselves that way. Now, I'm not going to say that you're only what you do. But what you do every day shows who you are. And what happens is, is that for many people, you follow Jesus. You're like, well, it doesn't matter if I sleep around outside of marriage. I mean, I'm a Christian. There's grace for me. And that's not biblical grace. That's cheap grace. That isn't even grace. See, scholars call this antinomianism. Now, you got to love scholars because they got to make up big words that we don't know so that you think, wow, they're so smart. And, you know, it's good that they get paid all this money to be so smart. Right? Antinomianism. So anti means against. Namos in the Greek means law. And anism is anism is anism. You know what I mean? So the idea is they're against law. It doesn't matter what I do. And that's what happened in this church that Jude is writing to. So these guys came in and said, listen, it doesn't matter what you do. Forget about trying to live right. Forget about trying to be light in the world. Forget about being pure and being holy. It's all about grace, dude. Do whatever you want. And you know what's amazing? Churches blow up. Get huge churches when people say, just follow Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. And I'm here to tell you, it totally matters who you are. That's why Jesus died. Because what we do sometimes stinks. And God doesn't want us to stink forever. It's like my little Annabelle. She's getting ready to be potty trained. Sometimes Annabelle's got poop in her diaper. And you know what's funny is it's like we live in contemporary culture. So I remember my Uncle Frank, we used to call him Uncle Cheech. First time, you got to love that. Uncle Frank, we call him Uncle Cheech, right? Uncle Cheech, I remember the first time we had Obadiah, right? And I was changing a diaper and Uncle Cheech is like, you're not supposed to change your diaper. That's Lynn's job. I'm like, Uncle Cheech, the world has changed, bro. He's like, really? I would throw up. I'm like, now it comes out. The reason guys didn't like to change diapers, they got a gag reflex with a little poopy, you know? But anyway, when Annabelle stinks, we change her diaper. You know why? Because she stinks. And when our actions stink, God doesn't want us to stink. And it does matter how you live. Your life matters. Everything you do isn't just your life. It impacts everything around us. And so God doesn't want us to take grace and make it into lewdness. That's not a good thing. And that's one of the ways the gospel's been subverted. Another way, of course, is just a denial of the person and work of Jesus. The idea of Lord Jesus Christ. That's not his first name, middle name, and last name. I used to think that. Before I was a Christian, I'm like, Lord Jesus Christ, name's Lord, you know, that's his first name, middle name, and last name. He's just like Lee Harvey Oswald, you know? (laughs) Not like, you know what I mean. 
You conspiracy theorists like, well, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't really kill the President Kennedy. He was not CIA. Anyway, sorry. I should have drank more coffee this morning. But the idea of Lord, that's his title. He's the, he's the king of kings and the, he's the master. Jesus, that's his name. That's the, that was his given name. And then Christ, that's his position as God's anointed one. And Lord Jesus Christ, that's the full message. I mean, in those three words, you get the whole work of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, the perfectly lived life, the sacrificial death on the cross, the resurrection because death couldn't hold him, the ascension into heaven because he's the man and he's coming back. All in those three words, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the goal of this subversion of the gospel was to get people not to apply God's grace to the way that they live and to deny the person and work of Jesus. And what's amazing is, is even though it's thousands of years later, same stuff's going on today, isn't it? There are people who want to tell you that it doesn't matter how you live or your friends tell you it doesn't matter how you live. And that's a lie. And there's a lot of people who want to deny the person and work of Jesus. And this is the right fight that we need to fight. Now, before I move on from this, I want to say something real quick. Because when I say a message about you got to fight for the right things, there's some of us who are just flat out quarrelsome. Like you just like to fight about everything. And then you get saved and you're always fighting with people about something in the name of this. And I'm here to tell you, no, if you're quarrelsome, that's a sin. And you get, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that the man of God should not be quarrelsome. He should be kind. So the thing is, is that, like, I know this guy. Outside of Jesus, he was quarrelsome. He ended up in jail, all this stuff. And then he gets saved, and now he's always fighting with everybody in the name of, I'm fighting for Jesus. And it's like, no, 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 you're quarrelsome. And that is not Jesus. That's not the heart of Jesus. And we have to make sure, because some of us are quarrelsome, and you need to stop that. It's not a good thing. Being quarrelsome is not a sign of Christian maturity. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. You You guys know the list, right? So peace and quarrelsome, they go together? No. But sometimes we need to fight the right things in order to keep all those things in check. And so I just wanted to make sure I nuance that before someone goes on a rampage in Jesus' name. Say, well, Fusco said we need to fight for the right thing. So I'm fighting everybody. I'm not a heresy hunter. You know? Yeah, we'll leave that to the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much. Jesus is Thanks for staying with us today as Pastor Daniel continued unpacking the book of Jude. Just like when Jude was written, there are those who are trying to keep the message of the gospel quiet. This is a fight worth taking up because subverting the gospel keeps people from knowing Jesus and hinders them from experiencing the freedom that God wants them to have. Pastor Daniel pointed out that this is different from just being quarrelsome and looking for a fight. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. 
I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. You've heard that hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will share that God wants you to learn from the past. You'll learn that looking at the lives of the people around you, your own past, and biblical examples will help you know how to navigate your current circumstances and better understand the effect of the choices that you make. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time. Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Little is the New Big. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.